Effective Living with Reverend Henry Hubert. May you be blessed as you listen. Now, the message. Lord, you My topic that I want to talk about today is the grace package. The grace package. I have studied about grace and I've realized that grace is a package. When you receive the grace of God into your life, it comes in a package. You have to open the package and exhaust all the contents of the package and enjoy it. Amen. Grace is God's free gift to us as salvation. We will start reading from John chapter 1, verse 14 to 17. It says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This is he of whom I spoke and said, He that comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all received, and grace upon grace. Amen. My emphasis on the verse 16, he said, Of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. My understanding of that scripture is that grace comes to you in a package that is full of dimensions, blessings, content. Hallelujah. He said, of his fullness. Somebody say, of his fullness. I have received grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. So it goes on and on and on and it never ends. Turn to neighbor and tell him, the grace never ends. The grace of God is so abundant, it doesn't end. When you receive Jesus, you receive the grace to be saved from all sins, to become a child of God, and to enjoy the benefits of a child of God. That grace comes to you in a package, and that package has contents. And there are five important contents of the grace package. The first one is the new covenant. The second package is adoption as beloved children. The third package is the Holy Spirit. The fourth package is forgiveness of sins. And the last package is justification by faith. So when you become born again, you receive the grace by faith. We are all saved by grace through faith in Christ. And this grace brings you into the new covenant. Everybody say the new covenant. Matthew 26, verse 26 to 29. Can you read it for us? Verse 26. Matthew 26 from verse 26. Yeah. It says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. 27. It says, And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the new covenant, the new testament which is shared for many for the remission of sins. Verse 28 says, For this is my blood of the new covenant. Somebody say the new covenant. So Jesus at the communion introduced the, his disciples to the new covenant through the blood. He said, This is my blood of the new covenant 
which is shared for what purpose? For the remission of all sins at the Last Supper. When Jesus had a communion with the disciples for the first time, he introduced them to what his blood was going to be shed to do. And he also introduced them to something important, the new covenant. Now, when Jesus spoke about the new covenant, he suggests that there was an old covenant. Hallelujah. There was an old covenant. Then the old covenant was a covenant God made with Israel on Mount Sinai when he gave them the laws, including the Ten Commandments. Uh, we'll see that in Exodus 19, verse 3 to 8. Exodus 19, verse 3 to 8. Can you read it for us? Exodus 19, from verse number 3. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and I... And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you would indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Six. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all the words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Okay, so on Mount Sinai, God said to Moses, Go and tell the Israelites. Hallelujah. So I want to say that the old covenant was a covenant that existed between God and the Israelites only. It was a covenant between God and the Israelites only. That means if you are not an Israelite, that covenant does not concern you. The only people that had the privilege of enjoying the benefits of that covenant are the Israelites. He said, go and tell the people that if they will obey his commandments, and keep his covenant, then he will bless them. So the old covenant was a covenant that existed between God, who is a deity, and a nation. And the covenant was very simple. If you obey my laws, I will bless you. If you disobey my laws, I will curse you. If you disobey, you will be cursed. If you obey, you will be blessed. So Enjoying the goodness of God under the old covenant was conditional to the obedience to the terms of the covenant. And the terms of the covenant was the laws, the 613 laws that God gave the Israelites, including the Ten Commandments. They were the terms of the covenant. But when we come to the book of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, the Bible talks about the new covenant. It says that Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. So Jesus said to the disciples, this is my blood of the new covenant. The book of Hebrews says this new covenant was better than the old. It was established on better promises than the old one. 
and Jesus said, the new covenant has something to do with his blood that was shed for the remission of all sins. How many sins? All sins. That means that when Jesus was dying, he was establishing a new covenant by which all your sins, all, that means all the sins that you have committed before you met him, his blood has paid the full price for the punishment of all your sins. The word remission means reward or punishment. The reason why God cannot punish you today for your sin is because he punished somebody already for your sin. So the new covenant is not about obeying God to enjoy his goodness. The new covenant is not about disobeying God to carry a curse. The new covenant says that everyone who believes in the Savior, Jesus Christ, and his finished work on the cross, anyone at all, whether Israelites or anyone in any part of the world who believes in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, that person becomes a child of God. That person becomes a child of God. And that takes me to the second content of the grace package, which is adoption as children. What the grace of God means is that sinners have suddenly become children of God. Without God looking at their sins to punish their sins, God has decided to adopt sinners to become his children because somebody else paid the price for their sins. That is what grace means. Grace means that you enjoy favor and goodness that you don't deserve. The book of Romans 8 verse 15 says something important, and I want us to look at it. It says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Verse 17. And if children, then as of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. The Bible says we have received from God adoption. Everybody say adoption. Adoption means you take somebody who doesn't have parents, or even if the person has parents, the parents have willingly given the person to you to become your child through a legal process. And when that legal process is properly done, that child legally has every right that all your biological children have. That child has a right to demand from you anything that your own children should demand from you. He has a right to demand it from you and you have to comply. That child can take you on for being irresponsible to him, even though you are not his biological parent. Bible says that God adopted us. Amen. God took all of us to the spiritual court and perform every legal requirement spiritually. John chapter 1 verse 12 says that as many as received him, talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as many as received Jesus, the Son of God, God has given them the right. Somebody say, I have rights. As a child of God. He said, to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. I like verse 13. Look at it. It says, who were born not of blood, 
nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the Bible says, we were born by our parents, but when we give our life to Christ, a new life is also born into us. And that life is the life of God himself being born into us to become children of God. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to say that this experience of adoption of human beings by God, it never existed in the Old Testament. I'll show it to you. In John chapter 5, verse um, 17, it said, Jesus answered them and said what? My father has been what? Working until now, and I have been working. Verse 18, therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that what? When the day Jesus opened his mouth, looked at the Jews and said, my father is working, they said, this is taboo. Hallelujah. They said, this guy must die right now. How dare you call God your father? You don't respect. God is too holy for you to call him your father. God is too high up. He's too big for you to call him your father. You are an arrogant boy. We were here when you were born. Hallelujah. They said, we have to kill him. Look at verse 19. Verse 19. Then Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he, he does, the son also does in like manner. Verse 20. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater things than this that you may marvel. Amen. When they took stones to stone Jesus, Jesus did not apologize and said, I'm sorry. He went on further to, to talk to them about a relationship that exists between God the Father and his Son. So, the law makes God so distant from you. The law makes you feel unworthy to have anything close to God. Because the law reveals to you your horrible state and makes you feel so condemned that you never see yourself qualified to be close to God. And that is what the Jews were under. What grace does is that it makes you very close to God. Under the new covenant, the Bible said, whosoever believes, as many as received him, Jesus, and believe on his name, believe in his finished work, God has given them the right. Hallelujah. So you see, it is a gift, and that gift is the grace. The right to become a child of God, born of God, he gives it to you. Then you become his child. Somebody lift up a right hand and say, I am a child of God, and I'm proud I am. It is not because of me, but it is because of Jesus. Amen. I am a child of God, not because of my goodness, not because of my perfection, not because of my qualification. I'm a child of God because of Jesus and what he did on my behalf. Yeah. And as long as you convince yourself that Jesus has, has done all the work on your behalf, you can be bold about your sonship in God. Now, 
The important thing about being a child of God is that whose child you are is important to your status. Is that true? Is it not true? If you are the child of a poor man, will it affect you? Yes, of course it will. It will. If you are the child of a millionaire, won't it affect you? If you are the child of Bill Gates. Hallelujah. But there is something, somebody greater than Bill Gates. And that person is your father. That is why you can't afford to be timid. You can't afford to look down on yourself. You can't afford to just allow people to treat you anyhow. You are important. Amen. You are precious to God. Nobody may love you, but you understand that the Almighty, the Heavenly Father, He loves you. With a love that is not conditional. I'm coming to that. Now listen. How many of you have children you love? Let me see. How many of you want your children to do everything well before you own them as your children? How many? If your children do bad things, are they still your children? Do you love them? Will you give them up for somebody to destroy them? But will you correct them? Why? Because you love them. Do you beat them? Why? Because you love them. So the moment we talk about adoption as children of God, one important thing that comes to play is the unconditional love of God. Now, I want to say that under grace, under grace, we children of God, we enjoy a love from God that is not conditional. Yeah, it is not conditional. It is not conditional. God is not waiting for your obedience to bless you. Will you do that to your child? No. You've already planned what your children will eat tomorrow and what they will take to school, haven't you? Whether they will misbehave this evening or not, you've already planned. In fact, some of you are started saving for next term school fees for your children. If you want to know how to relate well with God, just think about how you relate to your children. Hallelujah. It will set you free from many, many, many things. Listen, God wants you and I to live right, but he doesn't bless us on that condition. He's already paid the full price for my blessing without thinking about what I'll do tomorrow. That is the meaning of unconditional love. John put it this way. First John 3 verse 1. Read it for me. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Amen. Amen. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, or has slapped on us? You know what it means to slap love on somebody? This morning, I want you to know that God Almighty is crazily in love with you. Crazily. He loves you more than any human being can ever, ever do. God loves you more than your parents could ever do. God loves you more than your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend for that matter. God loves you. Somebody slap your chest and say, God loves me. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you may not like it, but he loves me. Tell him, you may not like me, but he loves me all the same. 
Amen. You see, John was a Jew who became a disciple of Christ. Apostle John was a Jew. He was an Israelite. And he knew what it means for an Israelite to become a child of God. It never happened before until Jesus came on the scene. So, under the old covenant, the Bible says you shall love the Lord your God. You start the process. Under the new covenant, he didn't ask you for anything. First John 4 verse 9. First John 4 verse 9. Read it for me. And thus the love of God was manifested towards us. Toward us. Not we showing love to God. The love of God was what? Manifested. Demonstrated toward us. Hallelujah. That God has done what? Sent his only son. Now, how many of you will give your children to die for your friends? Especially if you have only one. One day somebody lost a child and brought a child to my house. That's where you see love. Wow. It was serious that day. Serious. <laughs> Are you understanding me? It was serious. Listen, if you want to understand grace, you have to practicalize it. Me, I said it last Sunday. I have only one biological child for now. So it was easy for God to teach me grace. I am too convinced about his love for me because even we human beings, none of you will give your only child. But the Bible said the love of God was manifested to us that, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live. He should die so we might live. Verse 10. Verse 10. He said, in this is love. Not that we love God, like the Old Testament. The Old Testament says, you shall love the Lord, you shall love the Lord, you shall love the Lord, you shall love the Lord. The New Covenant says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Say one more time to yourself, he loves me crazily. He loves me dearly. He loved us and sent his son. I'll show you another scripture. Romans 5, we read from verse 6. I like the analogy of Paul. You know what Paul said? He said, even if there is a righteous person who needs to be saved, whose life needs to be saved, none of us will give our children to die for a righteous person. From verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for who? For who? It would have been better if they had said he died for the godly. That's grace. Grace is Christ died for the ungodly, for the criminal, for the sinner, for the prostitute, for the armed robber, for the drunkard, the drug addict. Christ died for the ungodly. Were we all not like that? Verse 7, he says, For scarcely for a righteous man will somebody be willing to die. That, oh, this guy is a good guy, so I'll give my life for him. How many of you will do that? <laughs> oh, this guy is a good guy. He doesn't need to die. Bible said, even for a righteous person, it is scarce. It is scarce to see somebody giving his life to die for a righteous person. Yet, perhaps for a good one, someone would try. Paul said, well, once in a while we may hear that somebody has given himself to die for a good one person. But look at verse 8. He said, but God demonstrates his own what? 
love toward us. In that whilst we were still sinners, listen, God's love for you started when you were a sinner. It didn't start when you started coming to church. God's love for you didn't start when you, start, when you stopped drinking. It started when you were drinking. Are you listening to me? God's love for you started when you were messing around your life, doing all the sinful things, you know, doing every bad thing. He loved you. My question is, how much more now that you are coming to church and serving him and following him, how much more would the love be? Oh, I don't know about you, but he loves me. And I don't apologize about it. He loves me. Nobody else may ever love me, but he loves me. My parents may not love me, but he loves me. You know, the love of God can compensate for anything that you were deprived of when you were growing up. You can draw strength from his love to cater for everything. Your father wasn't there for you. He's there for you now. And he loves you more than your father would, could ever have done for you when he was there. Now, every good parent wants the best for his children. Is that not true? I came to tell you that God wants the best for you. Don't settle for the less. If it is not the best, it is not coming from God. Then to the if it is not the best, then it's not mine. Amen. Tell him, I don't know about you, but as for me, I know I deserve the best. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. He said, if which of you, if your child asks you for bread, you give him stew. That's Jesus talking. If your child says, I want to eat fish, especially the, the ones you love, say, Daddy, I want fish, and you have it, not that you don't have. You give him a snake. Even if you don't have the fish, will you still give him a snake? You won't do that. So why do you always get suspicious of God? Christianity has become a religion of suspicion. We are always suspicious of God because of the way we have been oriented about God. We are always suspicious of God. Everything God said we should do, we are suspicious. Because we don't understand that he loved us. Hallelujah. Verse 11. Verse 11. I like this. This is one of the scriptures that has revolutionized my life the past two years. Because the Lord spoke to me and said, whatever you don't wish for your daughter, I don't wish it for you. That is simple. He makes it very simple. Think about the good thoughts you think about your children. How you love them. If they are sick, you can't sleep. If your children are sick, you can't sleep. Can you? Even if you are angry with them and you don't talk to them, you are still watching if somebody wants to bully them. Don't you? I may be angry with my daughter, but you still have to be careful how you handle her. For those of you who are plenty, I understand you. And you too, you don't understand me. Many times I, I look at parents and I said, you don't understand. If you understand me, you will not complain about my behavior. Because I watch my daughter everywhere she is, unless it's, not in, it's within my range. I am concerned who shakes her, who taps her back, if I'm very concerned. I'm concerned who talks to her. I am concerned what it is. Who gave you that toffee? I want to know. The Bible says, if you being evil, me, Hubert, even me, with all my human nature, I know how to take good care of my daughter. How much more? Oh, if I don't have money to pay my child's school fee, I'll sell this shoe and pay her fees. How much more will God not want to bless me with the best car, the best house, the best life? How much more wouldn't he want to bless me with the best of everything? If it's not the best, I don't want it. It's not coming from my father. That is why you can always afford to wait. When you understand it, you can afford to wait until the best comes. 
you don't rush for the less. Somebody lift up a right hand and say, I'm a child of God. I have no apologies for that. My heavenly father loves me. He cares about me. And he loves me. I deserve the best. I will always have the best. Because I am a child of God. And it's too late for the devil. The devil can't do anything about it. Because I'm a child of God now. Amen. Hope you've been blessed by today's message. You can contact Reverend Hubert on 030-340-7970 or 024-33-11201. Remain blessed.